Welcome to Theology on Tape, portable Catholic theology for catechists or Catholics who want to dig deeper. My name is Elizabeth, and I'm here with Shane. Hello. Uh, we're continuing our series on the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and today we are going over Joseph. Yeah. And we know Joseph as Joseph uh, with the coat of many colors. That's it. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's the one we're talking about. Not Saint Joseph, but I do know we ha- our opening prayer is a prayer to Saint Joseph the foster father of the Lord. And it's appropriate because, of course, Joseph, then Saint Joseph, he would have been named after this patriarch, Joseph. The story of Saint Joseph in the New Testament, the only really details of his life, his story that we get, is first he's told in a dream that his wife, or his betrothed, Mary, will become pregnant, or is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and not to be worried about it. So God tells him that in a dream. God also warns him in a dream that Herod is going to be killing the children and to flee to Egypt. And Joseph in the Old Testament is also a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. So they have that in common. And they both, to rescue their families, flee to Egypt. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a little parallel there with St. Joseph and this patriarch Joseph. So let's begin with uh, our prayer to St. Joseph. Yeah. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O St. Joseph, do assist me by your powerful intercession and obtain for me from your divine Son all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having engaged here below your heavenly power, I may offer my thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. Amen. Amen. So right off the bat, let's let's pick up kind of where we left off. So we talked about Abraham, the first of the patriarchs. That word patriarch just means like the, the fathers. So these are the fathers of the nation of Israel. Remember, God is looking to reconcile the world to himself. And so he wants to create a nation. And he begins that nation with Abraham. And the promise is passed on from Abraham to Isaac. Now, Of course, Abraham had two sons, right? He had Ishmael and Isaac, but they're kind of in competition with each other. The the beloved son? Yeah, Isaac is the son of the promise, the beloved son. Ishmael, as we had said, he's the son that represents works, right? He's the alternative. So we have this contrast. Isaac then has sons, and he has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And so once again, we have this kind of pairing, this sort of, contrast where God chooses Jacob. Um, And there's a lot to that story um, and the conflict between Jacob and Esau and so forth. But again, we have these kind of paired brothers and a sort of rivalry between the two. All the way back from like Cain and Abel. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Okay. So we've got Cain and Abel. We've got Isaac and Ishmael. We've got Jacob and Esau. But the promise passes through Jacob. Now, Jacob encounters in the night, we won't go into the whole story, but Jacob encounters in the night uh, an angel of God. And he wrestles with this angel and... Physically? Yeah, physically. Okay. And he lays hold of him. He's sort of winning the fight and he grabs hold of the angel and he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And Jacob's name is changed from Jacob, which actually means deceiver, to Israel. So Jacob is now given a new name, just as Abram was and so forth. Jacob is now named Israel. Israel means the one who wrestles with God. 
Oh. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah. So now Israel, or Jacob, he still goes by Jacob, but Israel is his new name, has 12 sons. Those 12 sons will go on to have many of their own children, and those 12 sons will be the fathers of what we will come later to know as the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel. So the whole nation is named after Jacob, who's named Israel. So the whole nation takes that name and they're divided into these 12 tribes uh, because of these 12 sons. Now there's a little bit of complication with the sons and the tribes because some of them kind of merge and split and so forth. So it's not a one-to-one correspondence, but we do have 12 tribes of Israel and we have 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, One of those sons is Joseph and he's who we're going to be focusing in on tonight. Okay. So Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Mm -hmm. Isaac had 12 sons. No, Isaac had had Jacob and (laughs) and Esau. And Esau, yeah. And Jacob had 12 sons. One of them. Is Joseph. Is Joseph. So let's get right into it. Let's uh, pick up in Genesis chapter 37 and let's look at verses 1 through 4. Jacob settled in the land where his father had sojourned, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was tending the flocks with his brothers. He was assistant to the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zippah. And Joseph brought their father bad reports about them. Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons, for he was the child of his old age. And he made him a long, ornamented tunic. When his brothers saw that their father loved him best of all the brothers, they hated him so much that they could not say a kind word to him. All right, so Joseph is, of these 12 sons, Joseph is number 11. So he has 10 older brothers and one younger brother. His younger brother is Benjamin. Now, The other kind of conflict in this relationship that adds to the tension is that uh, Jacob, I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob, he falls in love with a woman named Rachel, who is very beautiful. And he tells Rachel's father that he's willing to work seven years to marry Rachel. And he does that. He works for seven years. But at their wedding, uh, Rachel's father makes a switch and tricks him and he actually marries Rachel's less attractive sister, Leah. And so he doesn't discover this until the the night of the wedding. Or, yeah, the night after the wedding. Uh, So then what does he do? He says, all right, fine, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. And so he does that. So now he's married to two women. Um, He later gets, uh, as you just read, these other two wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Um, Between these four women, he has 12 sons. But Rachel, who is the woman he really loves, mm-hmm. only gives two sons. That's Joseph and Benjamin. So Joseph is partly favored because he's the oldest son of his favored wife, his true love. These mm-hmm. other women are clearly, you know, not first place in his heart. And so Joseph uh, is his favorite son. So you could see right off the bat, this is kind of a problematic situation with all this polygamy and favoritism going on. But Joseph is now given this coat, um, what says here, a long ornamented coat. In the Septuagint, it's called the coat of many colors. That's where we get that expression. So you can imagine as he's walking around in this fancy coat 
that uh, everything he does is only adding to how much his brothers resent him. Yeah. Yeah. So the coat of many colors is that like symbol of not them not having like a lot of uh, fabric options or whatever. It must have shown wealth or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Because every time you, you can't just like go down to the store and buy dye. Right. Mm -hmm. So all, all the colors are natural. And so in order to have a color that has, that doesn't just become brown. Yeah. It would be a very complicated and complex process to get like, yeah, this really colorful coat. So. So on top of it being like a family thing, it was just a valuable. Yes. A, a very expensive thing. Like a crown to put on his son. Mm -hmm. So continuing on chapter 37 of Genesis verses five through eight. Once Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were binding sheaves in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose to the upright position and your sheaves formed a ring around my sheaf and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, are you really going to make yourself king over us? Will you rule over us? So they hated him all the more because of his dreams and his reports. So remember here, Joseph is 17. So he's just a kid and he's not picking up on social cues and he's happy. He's excited to tell his brothers about this cool dream that he had about their sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. Uh, what but, is that? Oh, these are like the, these bun they're out in the fields, like gathering bundles of wheat, okay. like stalks. And so his bundle stands up and his brother's bundles all bow down to his. It's cool imagery. Yeah. Well, and he has another dream. We're not going to read it here, but he has another dream where he's in the dream, Joseph himself. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down to him. Hmm. So, yeah, his father's giving him a lot of special treatment and he's kind of got, he's indulging in it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But as we'll see, this is all going to work out for a purpose. But the point here is, is that his brothers clearly hate him and you can't really even blame them. So we'll see what happens next. Okay, continuing on to verses 23 to 28 so when joseph came up to his brothers they stripped him of his tunic the long ornamented tunic he had on then they took him and threw him into the cistern the cistern was empty there was no water in it then they sat down to eat looking up they saw a caravan of ishmaelites coming from gilead their camels laden with gum balm and resin to be taken down to egypt judah said to his brothers what is to be gained by killing our brother and concealing his blood? Come, let us sell him to these Ishmaelites instead of doing away with him ourselves. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. Midianite traders passed by and they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So, yeah, so they throw him in a well and they're going to leave him there for dead. But then it's Judah, one of his older brothers, who has this idea of like, well, you know, we don't want to kill him. And not only that, we could sell him. So as these slave traders are passing by, they decide to sell Joseph to Egypt. Now, what do they do with this coat that they've taken off of him? This coat, this that's sort of a symbol of their father's love for Joseph. And they tear it up and they kill a goat and they cover it in blood. So then they take it back to their father, Jacob, and say, look, we found this that, you know, Joseph was eaten by some kind of wild animal. So they break their father's heart, obviously, yeah. telling them that he died. 
uh, when in fact they have sold him into slavery. Where we pick up next, there's actually a lot that happens in between. We're going to jump forward several chapters. I encourage people who are interested to go back and read it. This is this is genuinely interesting reading, but for the sake of getting to the core of the story, we're going to jump forward now. Uh, Joseph has now, he was sold to a man named Potiphar, and he works for him for a while. Things get complicated. Uh, he gets thrown in jail. So now he's in prison. But when he's in prison, some of his cellmates have dreams. But again, he's a dreamer himself. And so he, with God's help, is able to interpret their dreams and tell the future. So now he starts kind of getting a reputation of like, oh, this kid Joseph, he knows how to interpret dreams. So that will become important in what happens next. So continuing to chapter 41, verses 1 through 5. After a lapse of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When up out of the Nile came seven cows, fine-looking and fat, they grazed in the reed grass. Behind them seven other cows, poor-looking and gaunt, came up out of the Nile, and standing on the bank of the Nile beside the others, the poor-looking gaunt cows devoured the seven fine-looking fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. So Pharaoh has this dream of seven fat cows being eaten by seven skinny cows. He doesn't know what it means, so he's asking around, and... Uh, because, as I said, Joseph has sort of developed this reputation just even in the prison as being an interpreter. Somebody who had heard about that, somebody who had been there and seen Joseph interpreting dreams, tells Pharaoh, you know, actually, I know somebody who's in prison right now who is a, a real dream interpreter, so let's bring him in. And that's what happens here in verse 14. Pharaoh therefore had Joseph summoned, and they hurriedly brought him from the dungeon. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh then said to Joseph, I had a dream, but there was no one to interpret it. But I heard it said of you, if he hears a dream, he can interpret it. It is not I, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, who will respond for the well-being of Pharaoh. So I'll pause right there just to say that Joseph, I'm happy to see Joseph expressing this kind of humility. Because up to this point, it seems like everything, well, before being sold into slavery and so on, maybe that humbled him a little bit. But he's not arrogant here. Right? He has this gift, but he th- totally acknowledges it to be a gift from God. So when Pharaoh says, like, oh, I hear you can interpret dreams, he's like, no, no, it's not me, but God can use me as an instrument to do this. So now let's pick up in verse 29. This is now Joseph's interpretation of the dream is what we're reading here in verse 29. Seven years of great abundance are now coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will rise up after them, when all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. When the famine has exhausted the land, no trace of the abundance will be found in the land because of the famine that follows it, for it will be very severe. Okay, so this is Joseph's interpretation of the dream, that these these seven fat cows represent the next seven years that are going to be years of abundance. But the years after that are going to be seven years of famine. So they need to prepare now to really store up and manage their resources well during these seven years of abundance so that they can last through the famine that's coming. So this is a a genuine God-given dream about the future. And because of Joseph's interpretation, they're now in a position to to manage that well and to to be ready for those years. What's your face? (laughs) Oh, I was just thinking about seven, like seven years. Oh, Seven years is how much um, 
Jacob worked. Yeah, seven and seven. Yeah, seven and seven. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so what Pharaoh ends up doing is because Joseph gives this interpretation to the dream, he actually, so now remember, Joseph at this point was a prisoner. Remember, they drug him out of the dungeon to come before the Pharaoh. Shaved him. Yeah, yeah, cleaned him up and whatever. But now, so he goes from the very bottom, from being nasty, dirty, old in the dungeon, to now Pharaoh is saying, because of this interpretation of the dream that he's given, he's actually appointing Joseph to be the one to oversee this whole program. Hmm. So he basically appoints Joseph as like prime minister, the one to oversee all of the rationing of the food to manage the country through these years of abundance so that they can be ready for the famine. Yeah. And things do happen as he predicted. So there are years of abundance. And now we're going to pick up the story again when we're now a couple years into the famine because Joseph's brothers back in the land of Canaan, they are being hit by this famine too. So they come to Egypt. They've long since forgotten about Joseph, but they come back to Egypt uh, in search of food because they only in Egypt were they prepared for this famine. So now Joseph's brothers show up uh, to try to get some help. Okay, continuing on to chapter 42, verses 6 through 9. Joseph, as governor of the country, was the one who sold grain to all the people of the land. When Joseph's brothers came, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. He recognized them as soon as he saw them, but he concealed his own identity from them and spoke harshly to them. Where did you come from? He asked them. They answered, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. When Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him, he was reminded of the dreams he had about them. So those dreams, way back when he was 17, he's about 30 now. So a lot of time has passed. And that's why his brothers don't recognize him. One, they're not expecting to see him. And I'm sure he's dressed very differently and looks looks very different. So they say he conceals uh, his identity. But when his brothers are now here bowing down to him, begging for food, he's reminded of those dreams he had when he was a kid. And now, lo and behold, here they've they've come true. They've come to pass, right? Ah, okay. So it wasn't so much an ego thing. It was like kind of interpretation it was a real it was a real prophecy it was a real dream yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um but he joseph now is kind of harsh with them and we're going to skip again forward another couple of chapters because he really wants to kind of test them to see if they have changed their ways uh and so he puts them through a series of tests and ordeals to kind of test their faithfulness the whole time not disclosing his identity but now I want to pick up in chapter 45, where he, uh, where he discloses his identity to his brothers. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer restrain himself in the presence of all his attendants, so he cried out, Have everyone withdraw from me. So no one attended him when he made himself known to his brothers. But his sobs were so loud that the Egyptians heard him, and so the news reached Pharaoh's house. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could give him no answer, so dumbfounded they were at him. Come closer to me, Joseph told his brothers. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for having sold me here. It was really for the sake of saving lives that God sent me here ahead of you. The famine has been in the land for two years now, 
and for five more years cultivation will yield no harvest. God therefore sent me on ahead of you to ensure for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it was not really you, but God, who had me come here, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Hurry back then to my father and tell him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. All right. So we'll end the story there. And isn't that, I mean, what a beautiful ending, right? Yeah. I, I, it's such a great story. So now I want to get into some of the themes, what I see, what's what's gone on in this story, and why is it important from a Christian perspective in the New Testament. One thing is that we see in the story of Joseph this pattern that will certainly come to real prominence. I mean, this is throughout the Old Testament, but it really comes to light in the New Testament as well, which is that the one who is at the very bottom is taken to the very top. So there's this reversal of fortunes. So the person who you least expect, the person who's at the very bottom of the totem pole, God puts them at the top. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see with Joseph. Joseph is in the dungeon. He is at the very bottom. He has lost everything. But God uses him and he uses that loss, that experience there in the dungeon to bring out something great where he rises and becomes the most powerful man in, in the land. That, of course, is itself this constant reversal is most vividly seen in the resurrection of Jesus. This is something that we see really clearly in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read that passage for you here. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found in human appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you see the pattern of, of what Paul is saying here, that Christ humbles himself. He takes the form of a human, and not just a human, but a slave, and he's obedient to death, and not just to death, but death on a cross. He des He's descending down this ladder to the lowest possible place. To be a crucified criminal, is the very bottom rung of society. And so Christ takes that place, the lowest place, a dead, crucified slave. But here's what Paul says. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So because, he says, because of this, because Christ takes the very lowest place, God gives him the very highest place. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth. And so we see that with Joseph. Joseph takes the very lowest place so that God can raise him to the highest. And now at this end of the story where he tells his brothers to go tell Jacob, his father, that his son Joseph is alive. What is that to Joseph if not a resurrection from the dead, right? Yeah. Here his son, his his favorite beloved son was dead. For all intents and purposes, he had been living, you know, the last almost 15 years believing that his son was dead mm -hmm. and now he's alive again. 
So we have this kind of foreshadowing of death and resurrection. And again, we see that throughout Joseph's life. Not only is he thrown in prison and taken out, but remember his brothers throw him into the cistern Mm -hmm. and bring him out. So there's this constant kind of like death and resurrection motif going throughout the story. Another little interesting bit of parallel, I think, is that Joseph is one of 12 brothers, a parallel with 12 disciples of Christ. But whose idea is it to sell Joseph into slavery but his brother Judah? And Judah is exactly the name of the disciple who sells Christ. Not for 20 pieces of silver, but for 30. Hmm. Now, we know him as Judas, uh, but Judas is just a Greek form of the name Judah. So So he has the exact same name, that this is Judah, who betrays... Well, Joseph, and then in this case, Christ, uh, and sells him for silver. But as Joseph now says at the end, don't be angry at yourselves because ultimately it was God who has done this. God allowed for all of this to happen. Even the own suffering that he took upon himself, God allowed all of this tremendous evil so that through this evil, God could bring about the greatest good. So in the same way that Joseph is able to save his family, precisely because and through his being betrayed by them, that's what Christ effects with us. That we have betrayed him. We are responsible for rejecting him and condemning him and for him being crucified. But in the providence of God, it's exactly through that suffering and through that death that we bring about that God uses that to affect our salvation. And that's the beautiful paradox of the sufferings of Christ, that God takes our evil and turns it into the greatest good. What does it mean to be meek? Like the meek shall inherit the earth. Is that something related to this? Because it seems like Joseph in this is, yeah, being really humble. Like all of this, like it's through God that I'm able to do this. But it's not necessarily like a humility, just accepting of God's will that kind of really courses through him when he's forgiving his brothers. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a great image of that Christ-like character of here he is betrayed and abandoned and when Joseph reveals himself, his brothers are terrified, thinking, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> he what? has power. He yeah, he has power over them. But he doesn't, he doesn't use it to harm them. But he embraces them with forgiveness and love. And he uses his power to save them. And again, it's, a, it's such, a, such a fulfillment of, you know, what Christ would be. Why is it helpful for a student to know about Joseph and his, his tale of dream interpretation and, and the different tribes? Well, one, it's foreshadowing of Christ, which we've talked about. It's also setting up a really important plot point, which is that the 12 sons of Jacob now move to Egypt and they'll stay in Egypt and grow into a nation uh, 
And then that's how they end up being slaves in Egypt. So mm-hmm. that's how did the Israelites end up in Egypt? This is essential to understanding that part of the story. How did they get there in the first place? This is how. And Israelites equal Jacob. The descendants of Jacob. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's important foreshadowing for Christ in the New Testament. It's important context for the rest of the story in the Old Testament because the Exodus is so important and Egypt is so important. But how did they get to Egypt or why? This is why. But also then on a personal kind of practical level, it's a great reminder for us to trust in the providence of God. Providence is that word that we use to talk about God's governance of events. Mm -hmm. The way So Catholics, we don't believe in luck. We believe in providence, Mm -hmm. right? That God... God uses all these little things and he fits the pieces together because he's telling a story. And we don't see what it all means when we're in the middle of it. But at the end, we will be able to look back and see what St. Paul says, that all things work together for good. So it's because of Joseph's trust in God's providence is why in the midst of all this suffering, he never becomes embittered. He never becomes uh, discouraged. He was unjustly imprisoned, correct? Yeah, yeah. We didn't really talk about it, but... And, right, so he's betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into prison on false accusations, but he keeps trusting in God. So even when he's at the height or when he's at the depths, he doesn't let those highs and lows control him. He doesn't get swept up in the power and he doesn't get discouraged by the misfortune because he's always trusting in God's providence, that this is all gonna work out. He knows it can all be taken away from him, and he knows that everything that's been taken away can be given back to him. So he's just always trusting, and I think that's a great lesson for us to really have confidence in God's providence in our lives. That wraps up this episode about Joseph. Um, We're gonna continue on with the Bible Old Testament stories, as you alluded to, Moses is our next one. Yeah, so now that Now that we have the Israelites in Egypt, then you jump forward a few generations and now they are slaves in Egypt and Moses is called to deliver them. So that's where we'll pick up next time. Cool. So if you have any questions about something we've covered, please send your question in to theologyontape at gmail.com or leave a voice question for us in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Thank you. See you next time.